Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness, great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I am really excited to welcome Kelsey Henderson, president of Continuum Advisory Group to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, Kelsey. Thanks, Gretchen. I'm really excited to be here. So Kelsey and I had the incredible good fortune of working together for five years when I was president of Continuum Advisory Group, and Kelsey adroitly stepped into my shoes when I moved to Australia. We've just finished uh, Women in Const- uh, Women's History Month, and um, both of us had a lot of activities related to um, that in the construction industry and International Women's Day. And so we thought it would be a lot of fun to record a podcast about women in construction and kind of you know, reflect back on where we've been, where we're headed, et cetera. Um, so yeah, Kelsey, I'm, I'm really excited to spend some time reflecting about women in construction with you. Awesome. Yeah. So March was um, National Women's History Month. And then also in the U.S. when we celebrate Women in Construction Week and and in lots of countries internationally as well. You know, there's lots that I'd kind of picked up over the years about the history of women in construction. But I thought it would be kind of fun to dive into that and, you know, get a little bit more educated about some of that history and the timeline. So when I started digging around, um, one of the earliest things that I came up with was from 13th century Spain, where there were references to women working as day laborers, um, building a new cloister for a church. And, you know, while that was really interesting, it was also had like a really big negative connotation. You know, these women were treated almost as slave labor um, and were kind of looked at as a very, very low social class. Um, So I thought it was interesting that there was a history that went back so far that but that was also you know, quite negative. So then, you know, there's there's a gap there where there's not really a lot of information um, that you can find. But in the U.S., we really kind of get started in the late 1800s. Um, so Emily Warren Roebling is accredited as one of the earliest female engineers, and she's really well known for her work on the Brooklyn Bridge, um, which was 1869 to 1883. And she ended up overseeing construction and the completion of that bridge um, after her husband became very ill. And, you know, just really interesting as a prominent woman. And and, um, I guess there's lots of history and lore around that story. And then around the same time, uh, there was a woman named Louise Blanchard Bethune, who became the first American woman architect, uh, the first to own her own business. Fast forwarding a little bit, in 1953, a group of women became uh, began the National Association of Women in Construction. So uh, what we call NAWIC, and as I understand it, Gretchen, in, in Australia, you call NAWIC, yeah. right? Yep. And so that's now um, started as a U.S. association, but is now all over the world um, and a really active group. And then in 1979, going into 1980, uh, a woman named Barbara Ress was put in charge of the construction of Trump Tower. And so she became the first woman to oversee an American skyscraper project from start to finish, which was a pretty cool accomplishment. And so looking through that, you know, researching history and seeing the timeline, the the growth of women in construction has happened, obviously, but it's been really slow. Right. So like we've made a lot of progress, you know, over the past several decades, but we still also have a long way to go. Yeah. It's really interesting to reflect back on that history. and, And I think it's so important to lift up these role models 
of women, you know, I would I would add a couple of women to that list. I think of Jan Tuckman, who's editor in chief of ENR magazine and has won many. I was there when she won the the Tuckman Award at the Construction Industry Institute. Her her role in the industry of gosh. I mean, through the magazine, promoting women through the groundbreaking women in construction, which Kelsey, you and I have both spoken at that conference and just um, lifting up and giving awards and recognizing people that are shifting the industry. And I and a personal um, person that jumps into my mind is Alice Hoffman. She was the lead owners rep on the Baltimore Ravens Stadium project in the early 90s. She and I worked together. I, I always remember what year it was because she took the entire executive team out to do Outward Bound in the woods, which at that time they all thought were crazy. I was uh, six months pregnant with my son and, and I said, no, I'm not doing the trust fall. That's, I trust you, but I don't trust you to catch me when I'm six or seven months pregnant. <laughs> um, but, but at the time I thought, wow, a woman running a stadium construction project and being able to lift up these women that have led us in the industry. It's interesting how I kind of got into construction when I when I left FMI and went to run a women's foundation for five years. And then I came back into the industry um, after my time at University of Denver to continue advisory group. And my girlfriends were like, you work in construction like they only knew me in this other in this other life. They didn't know that I'd come from 11 years at FMI. And and I said, yeah, I love the construction industry. I mean, we really build and maintain the assets of society. Like if you want to eat in a restaurant or fly out of an airport or drive on a road or have a baby in a hospital, you know, that all has to get constructed. My dad was a construction equipment dealer and um, he was a dealer of Komatsu and Barber Green um, pavers. And my grandfather was uh, not only president of AED, the Association of Equipment Dealerships, but a lifetime award recipient. I was I had the good fortune to be there in San Francisco when he received that award. I was 21 years old at the time. And after a brief time in manufacturing, running manufacturing plants, it's so funny how I ended up at FMI. I answered an ad in the newspaper. You know, who, who actually gets a job answering an ad in a newspaper these days? <laughs> but I just completed my MBA and there was a, an ad in the business section for FMI, you know, larger for those in Australia who might not know who FMI is, largest investment banking management consulting firm in the U.S., well, global, they operate globally in construction. And I thought, you know, this this sounds like fun. I really love the industry. I grew up in it. And and there you go, 11 years there and five wonderful years at Continuum Advisory Group and, and now Greatness Consulting operating over here in Australia, um, helping the construction industry here. So it's um, it's a great industry full of wonderful people. And um, I'm sometimes frustrated that our image isn't a little bit better, that, that we don't garner the respect, I think, that we deserve sometimes for um, building and maintaining the assets of society. And, and Kelsey, you grew up in a construction family, too. Yeah, I was going to say that's really interesting that both of us kind of have that, um, that family tie. So um, I'll start with my mom. My mother actually went to carpentry school instead of college. Um, and she did not work in construction when I was growing up, but she was always doing projects around the house. And it wasn't until years later that I learned that um, she was actually working in commercial construction while she was pregnant with me. And at one point was even wearing her tool belt draped across her shoulders when it wouldn't fit around her waist anymore. 
Wow. And, you know, when I was growing up, she wasn't doing that work. And, and I just didn't know those stories until much later. But I always thought that was really interesting. And um, and my father worked in construction as well, both residential and commercial. Uh, his father was a home builder. And so it was very much a family of, of construction. Um, and I remember as a little girl, you know, touring different job sites with him on Bring Your Daughter to Work Day. Um, and the only women I ever saw on any of those sites were secretaries in the trailers or in the offices. So, you know, I, I don't think I, as a child, I didn't see a future in construction for myself. It wasn't, you know, a direction that I thought I would end up going. Um, I think looking back, I always had an interest in architecture and design and even real estate, but I, you know, I don't recall, um, there being like a lot of programs or, or opportunities that encouraged development in those areas when I was going through school. But then, you know, fast forwarding several years right out of school, I ended up working for a multifamily company um, and I worked on kind of the sales side of the business and leasing, but they were also into development and construction. And, and I always had an interest in what was going on on that side of the business. Um, and then in 2008, I began working uh, with a consulting team at FMI that was focused on the residential building industry. And then 2010 is when we started Continuum Advisory Group. Um, and then, of course, I became president in 2018. And, you know, so it's been a, a really amazing journey. And over the past 13 years, uh, working with lots of different organizations in the construction space and lots and lots of different construction projects, um, I've definitely seen a lot of growth in the representation of women in that space, um, you know, especially in leadership roles, which is really, really exciting to see um, just how much that's changed in recent years. So, you know, I've got a, a little bit of data that I dug up as far as kind of where we are um, as an industry. I think overall, the percentage is still quite low. Uh, women only make up 10% of the total industry. And when you look internationally, that's relatively similar um, across, you know, most countries. Um, unfortunately, of that 10%, about a third are still some sort of an administrative role. Um, so there's still lots of room for, for growth for women in the construction space. But in, you know, in my work over the years with dozens of different project teams throughout the U.S., some international, what I think is more interesting is kind of where you see the women in construction. Representation is still really, really low among trades, only about two and a half percent. And there's a great documentary um, called Hard-Headed Woman that shares the experiences of women working in construction trades. And, and it really talks about some of the barriers to entry um, from discrimination and sexual harassment to things like lack of bathroom facilities and PPE that doesn't fit and isn't designed for women. So, you know, still lots of work to do at that trade level. At the same time, um, I've seen more and more women in leadership roles and you know, personally, I've seen a lot more women in project management positions, um, especially in the past few years, and especially with, you know, the more progressive companies and to some of the, the names that you mentioned, Gretchen, at the beginning, you know, seeing women lead these really large, impressive projects. Um, so a couple of statistics I dug up, 13% of construction firms are owned by women. 44% um, of the top 100 contracting companies have women in executive roles. Um, I think that's a really meaningful statistic, and we've seen lots of research, not just in construction, but um, across all sorts of organizations about the impact of diversified teams and how much more effective teams and companies are when they are more diverse. So I think that's pretty impressive that there's, you know, 44% have uh, women in executive roles. 
And then one in every five construction board members are female. And so I know, Gretchen, you've served on you know, a number of boards over the years. And, and I think that's also just a really empowering statistic. So that even though we're kind of underrepresented in the industry, there are so many women in leadership roles. Yeah, I think it's interesting when, um, when Hugh Rice recommended me for a position on the Brinkman Construction Board, and they had just were just forming their board. They'd become an ESOP and they'd sold out to the employees and and were, you know, forming their board. And the recruiter called me and and said, you know, that they want to bring on one outsider to begin with and then another one the next year. And 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 you know, we really think you're a great candidate. And I said to him, I said, did you tell them I'm a woman? Because you wouldn't <laughs> think of a construction company bringing on a female as their first outside director, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I am on their board, and they're a very progressive company, and I think they understand that um, diversity is is really critical. Um, I'm curious, Kelsey. I'm going to ask you a question before we also uh, dive into some of the efforts that associations are making to to change this. When I joined Continuum Advisory Group, there were two male partners at the time, Clark and Mark. Clark, the original founder, Clark Ellis, and. I got this question a lot in the five years that I was president. People would say, um, you, you all are a woman-owned business, right? And I'd say, actually, no, we're not a woman-owned business. And, and they'd say, well, then why are, why are you president? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'd say, well, because Mark and Clark hired me to be president, and they felt I was the most qualified person to be president. It didn't have anything to be, you know, I wasn't a token female president. And in fact, when we brought you and Mona on as female partners and attempted to become a woman-owned business, we failed at that. Um, and so, which I find is just you know incredibly ironic. I don't know, Kelsey, have you ever had any reactions like that? That that bias that people have about being a female president? Yeah, I have, and I you know what's funny is that often when um, I introduce myself and people aren't familiar with the firm and I introduce myself as president, they just assume that it's just me. You know, mm-hmm. that I wouldn't be president if there were other people, <laughs> other right. people in, in membership or leadership positions. Um, so they assume it's just a sole proprietorship. And then they find out that I have partners and they're like, oh, OK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's, it's funny. It's, you know, um, gender is not a majority rule kind of a thing. No. And it's and that that's the bias that I think that when I used to go out early on with FMI with a guy and they'd assume that I was his exec, you know, his assistant. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's one of the biases that people need to understand. And, and you know, you, you said that 44% of top 100 contracting companies have women in executive roles. But the flip side of that is 56% of companies do not have a woman in an executive role. And I was looking at a board the other day of an engineering firm and it was entirely male. And as you as you kind of pointed out, and there's some great research, two of the researchers, Anita Woolley and Thomas Malone, I reflect back on their leadership quite a bit. They studied teams at some very scientifically studied teams. And the interesting part is that the collective IQ of a team has no impact on their um, team IQ, how effective they are at solving problems as a team. The number one factor in intelligence of teams is whether or not there are women on it. So I think that's the interesting point. We're having this conversation like, well, is it is, is, is it a social justice issue? And I would argue that it's a business performance issue. It's a team performance that you need women in lots of different types of diversity beyond women on your 
executive teams and your and your boards. Yeah, I agree completely. And you know, in in looking at the history of women in construction and finding some of these statistics, there are a number of different studies and pieces of research that back that up. And um, I think you know maybe we can link some of those in the episode notes to share with folks because I think it's really interesting reading. And as you know, for women who are looking to grow within their organization or looking for you know positions uh, in leadership in the construction industry, being armed with that knowledge to say you know, yes, I deserve this and here's what I can bring personally, but also, you know, here's some unbiased research on what women can bring to to teams and to organizations and to these roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you you touched upon that there's a lot of industry associations out there that, um, you know, at my time at Continuum Advisory Group and the team has continued that and in my time over here, trying to look at ways to affect systemic change in the industry, not just around women, but, you know, well-being. I mean, we have the highest suicide rates where we're seen as um, somebody, oh, Stephen Mulva the other day, uh, CII said, dirty, dangerous, and um, uh uh, dirty, dangerous, I forget what they, oh, divorce or something like that. It was like the three D's <laughs> of construction, right? And um, and we do have an image issue, but I know you've continued to really be involved in some of the industry efforts to affect change. Yeah, and so Continuum Advisory Group's active in a number of different industry associations, um, including the Construction Industry Institute, CII, the Construction Users Roundtable, CURT, um, the Lean Construction Institute, lots of others. Um, and so, you know, before I talk about kind of what I've seen recently, I, I think it'd be interesting, Gretchen, for you to share kind of from early days at FMI when you were participating in those associations, you know, were you often in a position where you were the only woman in a room or one of few? You know, was it unusual to see women um, participating in those groups? Yeah, absolutely. So I joined FMI in 1994. I just realized I have my 35-year anniversary of leaving engineering school. That made me very sad that I've been out of engineering school longer than many of the people listening to this podcast probably. At the time, I was the second woman hired in 47 years at FMI. Cynthia Paul was the first. We had about, we had 70, no, more like 170. I don't know how many consultants we had, investment bankers, but you know, we stood out, two of us, second second female shareholder, no, third, our CFO was a shareholder. So yeah, I'm going, showing up at the construction user roundtable. I started the owner services group at FMI at about the same time, Greg Sizemore was really getting ahead of steam with the construction user roundtable. So I joke that Greg and I kind of grew up together. I, I tried to use it to my advantage. It's interesting how you view things. You can say, well, it's a disadvantage to be a woman in the industry and I thought, well, there's not that many tall blonde Gretchens walking around these cocktail parties or speaking, so people would remember me. Um, the funniest story is when I came back into the industry, I'd changed my last name after my divorce. My name was Gretchen McComb when I was at FMI. And my very first event was a Kurt cocktail party, and somebody walked up to me and said, I swear you're Gretchen McComb, but your name tag says Gretchen Gagel. Like, how could there possibly be two blonde Gretchens in the construction industry, right? Mm-hmm. So I tried to treat it as an advantage. Um, did did I experience uncomfortable situations or, you know, feel out of place or whatever? Absolutely. But um, 
you know, I tried to think of it as, hey, I'll stand out in the crowd and they'll remember who I am. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you and I have joked about that before that, you know, after going to um, one of those events uh, a couple of times, especially after speaking, you know, everybody knows your name and wants to come up and say hello. And then you're going through your mental Rolodex of, you know, they only have to remember a few females and you've got to remember (laughs) everybody else. I have a very funny story. I was at a Qantas Services conference for utility executives and I introduced myself to someone the second night and he goes, oh, we met last night. And I looked at him and I said, you know, if one of you guys would dye your hair purple, it would be awesome. I'd be able to pick you out of the crowd because, you know, they they all the blue blazers and they're all about the same age. And um, so, yeah, it's very interesting. But it is great. Uh, you need to talk about the global part of this, Kelsey. And it's been great to come over to Australia and see that people care about this here, too. And mm-hmm. not just gender, as I said, I've just been named to the Construction Industry Culture Task Force here in Australia, which is a national group working with um, Scott Morrison and the leaders of the different states and territories on how do we have some type of a culture standard that companies sign on to about pay equity, about gender diversity, about employee well-being, about our image, that we want to attract the most talented people into the industry. And I think that's part of the important part back to the research about, um, and the good news, I literally just pulled this up as Kelsey and I were preparing for this, an article that um, Australian female construction apprentices have more than doubled from 2010 to 2020. Now that may be a doubling of two to 4%. I don't know what the actual percentages are, but at least we're seeing some progress in the industry. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Um, And then, yeah, back on associations for a second. I mean, I think we've seen a dramatic difference uh, over the years, even just in the time that I've been engaged in participating you know, when I go into um, a CII meeting and walk into one of the committees there are multiple women on every committee. It's really exciting to me. I find it interesting that only, you know, even though the industry is only 10% women, uh, we're so strongly represented in these associations and then communities like the one that you just mentioned that are centered around industry advancement, um, not just for women in the industry, but for how we improve and grow overall, like um, initiatives like CII's, you know, operating system 2.0 and looking at, you know, how we really dramatically change the future of construction. So it's very exciting to see. It is. And um, it's very interesting. When I came to Australia, uh, two weeks after I arrived here, I gave a speech at the Australian Pipeline and Gas Association um, about energy company contractor alliances and some of the lessons we had learned in the United States through San Bruno. We hadn't had the fires also yet. This was pre-California fires and pre-PG&E bankruptcy, but That was the topic, but I heard uh, Steve Davies, the CEO of the Australian Pipeline and Gas Association, had a a panel. And in front of the audience, he said, I'm embarrassed to say that there are no women on this panel, and we need to do something different about that. And I just want to acknowledge that, which I thought was really brave to say in front of the entire audience. So I, I went, I had coffee with him a few weeks later and said, hey, let's start a women's leadership program. And I've spoken at one at the American Gas Association you know, it's doing great things. And the good news is that we, we started that program and we've had 74 women go through it and they've increased their membership, female membership from 19 to 23% in less than two years. 
Um, and we, 90% of the women report an increase in confidence, for example. The downside of that, um, Kelsey, is that I was a brand new person here in Australia, and I, I knew that I risked branding myself as a women's leadership person. Mm-hmm. Because whatever, however people engage with you first, that's, that's really what they're kind of going to see, right? And, but I made a deliberate decision. I said, you know what? That's okay. I'll, I'll work to overcome that. This program and the ability to affect systemic change around women in our industry is more important to me than that. So I think um, it took a little bit of courage on my part as a brand new person in Australia to raise my hand and say, hey, let's start this program. But I think that's what it's going to take is um, people with courageous acts And I think just to share another one, and then I'd love your ideas, Kelsey, about what can we do. The Australian Constructors Association asked each of their board members to name a female co-board member so that they would be 50% men and 50% women. That's a bold move. I mean, that that changes the face of that board. Um, Those 13 companies, the 13 largest constructors here in Australia, so I do think that um, it will take some bold moves from people encouraged to, to, to help to continue to shape the industry for women. I'd, I'd be curious about your thoughts on that too, Kelsey. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that is a really bold move, as you said. And, you know, in, in researching it, there are so many uh, larger you know, construction companies in the U.S. that have started their own programs. There's associations that are specifically for women, like the National Association of Women in Construction, um, and then there's events like uh, Groundbreaking Women in Construction, ENR's event that you mentioned. There are things like that. But then there are also, um, you know, leadership groups and councils and, and groups that are intended to empower the growth of women in the space that are associated with um, much bigger associations that are not just for women, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. um, CII, Kurt, others like that. And, you know, I would say look around, look at your region, look at your your local area, your state and your organization. And if you don't see some sort of a group, you know, for women that's meant for growth and empowerment and development and mentoring, start one, ask to start one, you know, bring those suggestions, because I think that has to come from somewhere. I think being willing to step into that position when you see that void uh, whether it's in your, you know, your region or whether it's in your organization and begin that process. And it's so interesting when we when we had the first cohort of 25 women for this women's leadership program in the pipeline industry, first of all, seeing Steve stand up and say, oh, my gosh, I've never stood in a group in front of a group of women before. Now I understand what it feels like to stand and, <laughs> and see only men. Right. And one of the women participants said, you know, I was a little hesitant that this was going to be some kind of man bashing thing. And it's like, no, it's, you know, why would I stay in construction if I was interested in man bashing? I've loved men. I've been married to two of them. Right. I um, I think men are wonderful. But but giving women the space to talk about strategy, talk about leadership, but do it in a in a safer space. And it's an and thing and women hanging out with men talking about these things, too. In fact, we're going to migrate this leadership program into a mixed gender leadership program for men and women. But I think um, giving women that space to build network and that we've changed how these um, back to your question, Kelsey, about showing up at Kurt and CII in the early days, uh, we had a cohort meeting and then we all went to a dinner for the association 
And at the cocktail party, a gentleman actually said to me, oh my gosh, there's a lot of women at this meeting. You know, that's changing the face of, of what it looks like and in, in promoting women. So it's not just a not just women, it's and with men and um, the whole thing. If you had a, you know, if you had a tip for women listeners out there that are maybe struggling with how they fit into this industry or, or another industry, you know, it's not just construction, it's finance and IT. And, you know, there's, there's lots of industries that are male dominated. What, what advice would you give to those women out there listening? For me, so much of it comes back to uh, mentorship. And it doesn't have to be finding a female mentor. It can be finding a male mentor who, you know, has had a lot of experience in the industry and who is interested in supporting and and building up women as well. And, you know, we're finally at a place now in, um, you know, the spring of 2021, where hopefully we'll be having opportunities to go back to in-person networking and things like that. But, you know, in the meantime, get on LinkedIn. Um, you know, look for other women in the space um, who who you admire, or who are doing things that you think are interesting and connect to them and reach out. Um, I've definitely done that myself. I've had other uh, women in the area who aren't even necessarily in construction, but who are in kind of emerging leadership positions, reach out to me and just say, hey, I saw that, you know, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, for those who don't know, I saw that you're in Raleigh, and it would be great to get coffee and just, you know, chat and um, pick your brain about, you know, how you ended up where you are and um, and maybe get some advice from each other. So I would encourage any opportunities like that. Um, and it's going to take, you know, some some leaning in, right? Like some reaching out and creating some of those opportunities for yourself. You know, the thing I would add to that, we spend a lot of time talking about sponsors in addition to mentors. And um, I think one of the, the most exciting things that I've experienced in my life is being your sponsor, Kelsey, and really advocating for you as the next president of Continuum Advisory Group. And I wasn't smart enough to have a sponsor. You know, Hugh Rice was my mentor at FMI, but I don't think I was smart enough to ask him to be my sponsor. Um, But I've learned a lot more about that. Kelsey, it's been so wonderful to have you on the Greatness Podcast, and we're going to be sharing this on the Built Revolution, your podcast as well. I um, I miss you. I miss working with you. Um, I miss being able to sit down and have a glass of wine together. But hopefully over the next few months, I'll make it back to the U.S. and we can make that happen. Thanks, Kelsey. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really great to chat. And I'm looking forward to actually seeing you face to face sometime soon. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.